0: Dear Lord, we thank you for a time of coming together to uh, learn from you and to hear what your spirit wants to say to us as your church. Uh, We commit this time to you. We thank you for scriptures and we pray for an anointing upon your word that it will go forth and not return to you void, Lord. And so be with me and be with all my brothers and my sisters. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know that Kingdom 101 is an expository journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been doing this for more than three years, starting obviously with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And we've come to a point where we are diving into a new section. So I thought it might be good to give you a very quick overview. You know, the book of Matthew, commentators all agree that it can be divided into five main discourses. Uh, These are like teaching blocks. Everything about the kingdom of God can be summarized in these five discourses. The very first discourse you find in chapters 5 to 7, and I call it the kingdom ways because these teachings would be known to us more familiar as the Sermon on the Mount. And these are ways of the kingdom. Discourse number 2 is actually chapter 10, which is what we're going to get into about kingdom assignments, and that is what we are all interested in and want to know a little bit more about. Discourse 3 is Matthew 13, and we'll get there soon enough, uh, about kingdom parables. That will be an exciting teaching, and I'm looking forward to that when we get there. Matthew chapter 18 is discourse number 4, where Jesus talks about the church, and I call it the kingdom community. Later on in Matthew chapter twenty-three to twenty-five, we call it the Olivet Discourse. I call it Kingdom Readiness because he's saying, "Look, I'm coming again. You know these things are going to happen. You better be ready for the things that you will be looking at." What is in between all these things are narratives, stories, uh, examples. Huh? Jesus moving around and demonstrating the things that he has taught. So these are the five major discourses. What we have been going through in our past teachings. We have started in Matthew chapter five, verse seven. I call it declaration and teaching. Right? Jesus declares the things of the kingdom, the authority of the king, and He teaches about kingdom ways. In chapters eight and nine, I call it demonstration and training. And there are 10 miracles, and we've gone through all 10. And this time we're coming into Matthew chapter 10, delegation and tasking, which is about kingdom assignments. If you see declaration and teaching, it sort of parallels a scripture back in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 7 parallels Deuteronomy chapter 32. And in the kingdom teaching and the kingdom ways, Jesus is like portrayed as like a Moses. In Matthew chapter 7, 28, 29, it has this phrase, when Jesus ended these sayings. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 45, same words almost. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. See that? Okay, there's a parallel down there, Jesus as like a new Moses. When we come to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, under demonstration and training, after 10 miracles that we went through, we see this one verse, Jesus looks at the multitudes and He was moved with compassion. Why? They were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Now that parallels also another passage in Numbers, back in the Old Testament. Chapter 27, verse 15, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the Spirit's all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Can you see this? And so Moses is saying, Lord, will you appoint someone over your people that they will not be like sheep who have no shepherd. Now, immediately, we get to chapter 10, the very next verse, where Jesus commissions the 12 apostles. But in Numbers chapter 27, the very next verse from what we read just now, the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit. Lay your hand on him, and so on and inaugurate him in their sight. So when Jesus was doing the teaching, Sermon on the Mount, he is like a new Moses that declares God's ways and God's laws. But after he comes down, the next discourse opens with him like a Joshua now, where he is this new leader of this new kingdom era. Like Joshua, who brought the 12 tribes into the land, Jesus will commission 12 disciples and start a new movement of the kingdom. Okay, so this is like a broad overview for you to see, not just Matthew in the five discourses, but today we are getting into discourse number two. And so let's read the passage, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Quite a lengthy passage, six verses only. But I'm going to give you four main points, and we will unpack this along the way the very first thing we notice in that first line and that first point is to be aligned with Jesus. The points I'm going to give to you will be very familiar to those who have been journeying with us in our Keeper's Awakening lingo or in the language that we have been using. To be aligned with Jesus, number one. That very first line in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, the first part. And when He had called His 12 disciples to Him, notice, he calls his disciple to him. Now, very often when we look at this word, the word call, we tend to think of, Lord, what am I called to? Right? What am I called to do? Uh, where am I to go? Uh, what have you prepared for me? Right? It's something that is task oriented. But I think we have to understand that the very first thing, Jesus calls us first and foremost to himself. Okay, don't run out to do things immediately. The very first call, and the word call can be substituted, and I like to do that for myself. It helps me understand this very Christian church word called call. Breaks it down very simply. Invitation. That's all call means. It is an invitation. When Jesus calls us, He invites us to be with Him. The word "called" here is prospect kaleo. Now kaleo means to call or to invite or to appoint or to set in place. Now pros just means to. So calls to himself. The first call is to Jesus and to be with him. Now Matthew truncates it, but if you look at Mark, the parallel verse, uh, chapter 3 verse 14, then Jesus appointed 12, for what reason? That they might be with him. You notice that? Jesus appoints people, calls people, invites people. First part, that they might be with Him. The very first person and the very first place is Jesus. But be with Him for what? That He might send them out. You notice a sending out comes later. The first place, the first person, everyone, Jesus. You have to align with Jesus the sending out will come later and by itself. It will be a natural outcome. And that's why in our Keeper's Awakening, one line which we keep reminding everyone is, focus on the aligning. Let God do the assigning. Don't be so hung up with the assigning, although it's important that you forget first the aligning. And so my question to all of us here listening in is, Are you checking your alignment with Jesus? How are you spending time with Him? How are you learning from Him? What are you receiving from Him? How well do you know this Jesus? What's your relationship with Jesus like? When I was dean of a school of ministry, and in my time of uh, interview with the potential candidates who have signed up for the school, They will come, they will sit in front of me. Of course, they will be all very jittery and very anxious, right? The dean is interviewing them. What if they don't make it, right? The very first question I would ask the interviewee or the candidate is, can you describe your relationship with the Lord? Just tell me, what is your relationship with the Lord like? And almost all, nine out of ten, most, the way they answer is, Oh, I serve in the choir, I play in the band, you know, I, I join a cell group. They'll tell me what they do. Now, nothing wrong with doing things for the Lord. But after they spend about 10 minutes telling me all the things that they do, I will ask the question again and I will say, Yeah, so what's your relationship with the Lord like? You have not answered my question, right? I know you, you told me what you did in church. And I like to think it's out of a relationship with the Lord but I'd like you to describe that relationship to me. How is your relationship? Are you aligned with the Lord? Because if you focus on the aligning, the assigning will be a natural outcome. And so the takeaway for this first point for ourselves here is, I want you to hang out with Jesus before being sent out for Jesus. Is that okay? Hang out with Jesus before being sent out for Jesus. You have to be rightly aligned with the king before attempting to move on kingdom assignment. If you remember a certain incident that was in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when the leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Why? And they realized that these guys, they had been with Jesus. See, it's not just about the miracles or how well you can talk or how big your crowd is. The marvelous part is that they had been with Jesus. And it shows. And I think our church ministries and our assignments that we carry out will look very different if we spend time with Jesus and people start to see and realize that we have spent time with Jesus. See, in the leader's opinion, Peter and John were uneducated and untrained. Their only qualification is that they had been with Jesus. So meaning to say, uh, you don't have to be educated. You just have to be with Jesus. You want to say amen to that? Now, I'm not saying that education is bad. Please don't get me wrong. I mean, thank you for being here, I keep saying. Uh, Thank you for going to School of Ministries. Thank you for going to Bible school. But that's not the qualification that people might be looking for. People are looking for Jesus. Jesus. It's not that education is bad, but all education about the kingdom can be empty without an experience with the king. Did you hear that? All your education about the kingdom can be empty. It, it makes no difference. It, it, there's no traction, right? You can, you can spew Bible verses, you can argue with people, but if you have no experience with the king, you're not aligned with him, then that education about the kingdom comes to very little. And I think you'll agree with me. We have so much information, so much teaching in our sunny island, Singapore. (laughs) But the question is, do we have the experience with Jesus? Are we hanging out with Jesus? If you are not hanging out with Jesus, how can you be sent out for Jesus? So point number one, get aligned with Jesus, all right? Check your alignment with the King. Let's move on to point number two. And point number two is about being authorized by Jesus. We read in the very first part in chapter 10, verse 1a, that when He had called His 12 disciples to Him, this is what He did. This is part B. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now this word power in the English, sometimes we can confuse it and we think it might be the other Greek word, dunamis. But it's not dunamis, it's exousia, which means authority. Very different. It's not that kind of a power of intensity. It is about having the authority, having the right to be able to do something, to put something to place, to throw something out and to execute a kingdom mandate or a decree. So it's very different from the dunamis type of power. It is authority that Jesus is giving. You see, you can have all the power in this world, it will be useless if you don't have the authority or the right to exercise it. And there are many times, even as Christians, you know, we can say in Jesus' name and all, but if we don't believe in that authority, if we have not hung out with the Lord, if we have not received this authority by faith to know that we can use it, you notice you can say in Jesus' name and it really amounts to nothing very much, right? It's not a phrase that is used as a magical chant. Now, we have heard of testimonies by the Lord's grace when someone calls upon the name of Jesus, there can be salvation, there can be deliverance. But if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to understand authority, authority and this authority is important because the leaders when Peter and John uh, executed a, a miracle performed the miracle and the lame man was able to walk again they were asked by what power and this is by what kind of a dunamis what kind of great power do you have or by what name have you done this now the by what name that phrase is authority by what name who authorized you who authorised you? Who gave you the right to ask this man to walk again? I mean, it's really funny, right? I think, the, I think the, the priests or the Pharisees themselves maybe secretly wanted to have the authority, you know, because they did not preach or teach with the same authority as Jesus. And then they answered, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You see, this is the name. This is the king. This is the authority of the kingdom. But you can't use this name if you don't have a relationship with this person. You can't just anyhow take this name and say, you know, I, I stand here uh, by the authority of um, Prime Minister Lee Hsien Lung. I don't have that authority, right? Not unless he gives it to me. Or by the power that's given to me by the President of Singapore. I can't say that. I just And that's called using the name in vain. I must have that relationship, I must know this person to a certain degree, and I must have received that authority to be authorized by this person. You know how important authority is? Sadly, this week, we have just seen red reports of bombings that just happened in a neighboring country. And each time there is a terrorist act, either a bombing or a shooting or a stabbing or a truck uh, runs pedestrians over, do you realize the first question everybody asks, by whose authority? In whose name did they do it? Who did they represent? Am I right? And if it's belonging to a, a radical group of, of a certain religion, then they, they may say, okay, fine, you know. Uh, now we understand. And so it's pegged to that. That's how important authority is. And Jesus doesn't send His people out without first authorizing them. If you are going to be going on a kingdom assignment, you carry with you the authority of the King. And I want you to know that. Many people forget that. They doubt that. They don't believe that. But if you are on Team Jesus, if you represent the kingdom, and if you know your King, The king authorizes you to do all and everything that he did. And if you look at this one verse and you compare it to a few verses before, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, uses exactly almost the same words as Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 24, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, Matthew chapter 9, verse 39. Unclean spirits, cast them out, heal all kinds of disease, right? All kinds of sickness. Jesus did all those things, and now in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, same phrasing, same words, he tells the disciples, I'm giving you authority over all these things. Now don't just look at it as sickness. What Jesus is giving, the authority, it's over a spiritual realm. It's over so much more than just a physical realm that we are looking at. It's both in the physical as well as the spiritual realm. And so as kingdom people, when we move out, when we execute kingdom assignments, you notice Jesus didn't say, I'm giving you authority to overthrow this government. I'm giving you authority, you know, to stand for election down here. That is not what he says. I don't know why sometimes when we talk in that way, sometimes we don't make ourselves sound very wise. All Jesus is saying to them is, you do this and you show that the kingdom has invaded into the lives of the people. As you have authority in the spiritual realm, what you execute in the spiritual is going to manifest in the physical. Then you have authority and credibility to say that the King of kings is here and that the kingdom of God is being declared. Alright? Team Jesus is authorized to do all that Jesus did. And as we have also discovered already, That authority is given by Jesus to those who align with Him, right? He calls the people first. Align with me. And as you hang out with me, before I send you out, I'm authorizing you and I'm giving you the power that is only available in my name. You remember in the book of Acts, there's this uh, story where the sons of Sceva, these were Jewish exorcists, right? In Acts chapter 19, verses 13 to 16. They were probably observing Paul and the rest of the disciples casting out demons and performing miracles and all that. And so they used the name of Jesus. But they were not authorized. This is the funny thing. Which this this one verse or this incident actually reminds us you can't any oh how just (laughs) use it for yourself. They used the name of Jesus without authority and they suffered the consequences. Paul, on the other hand, because he was rightly aligned with the king, the evil spirit recognized and acknowledged that. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Isn't that interesting? We can learn from Paul. If he's aligned rightly with Jesus and he's assigned for Jesus, then he is authorized by Jesus. Friends, if you want to be on a kingdom assignment, getting out there, check your alignment first. And as you have a relationship with the king, you can be certain that a king will not send you out without his authority. Okay, so these are the first very simple points. One is to be aligned with Jesus. The second is to be authorized by Jesus. Here comes the fun part. The third point is to be appointed by Jesus. Now, today's title is called Team Jesus. And I know many of us might be asking, so who makes it to Team Jesus? (laughs) Jesus names them. We have the whole list down there from Simon right down to to Judas. Who makes it to team Jesus? He appoints these 12 guys to team Jesus. Let's spend a little bit of time down here. First point I want you to realize is this. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. Please be convinced about that. There's something about the church today where, where we have learned something by impression and it has been drummed into us over the years we take that as gospel truth. And so to many people, Jesus only had 12 disciples. That's not true, right? You know that's not true. So the first thing I want is to break any mindsets that we might have. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. How do I know this? Because in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Look at verse 13. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve. From them he chose twelve. Obviously, there must be more than twelve, right? He cannot call twelve to himself and say, okay, now let me choose you. Then he chose twelve. Cannot be. He must have more disciples than just the twelve. Now, I know these twelve probably hung out with him a lot more. But Jesus had more than twelve. Now, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. So in this passage, we find that he appoints 12, but he didn't stop there. There's a special place for this 12, I acknowledge. But it's not just these 12, right? Later on, he appoints 70 others, or in some translations, 72 others. Why am I saying this? Why am I making this one point? Because I want to break our mindset that it's only 12, huh? It's only those select few, you know. And that's why it can't be me. uh. These are the super spiritual ones. These are the highly qualified ones. uh. These are the ones that are really so well-trained and so well-educated and so anointed. uh, And that's why they're so special. uh. That's why I cannot. All of us can qualify for Team Jesus. So firstly, Jesus had more than 12 disciples. Don't disqualify yourselves. Also, don't use that as an excuse not to be selected by Jesus. That's the first thing. But then why did Jesus just choose 12? Why is this so special? And for that, we have to see the biblical significance of 12. Do you realize that in our passage, six verses, the number 12 was mentioned three times? First, there are 12 disciples. Next, there are 12 apostles. And then the verse then says, these 12 Jesus sent and commanded them. Now, in biblical numerology, where you look at the significance of these numbers, 12 is very, very special. Why? Because 12 is a perfect number that symbolizes God's authority and God's power. It also symbolizes a governmental picture, a perfect governmental foundation. 12 is always about government, It's also about completeness, something that's perfect, that's all complete, that is there. It also symbolizes the nation of Israel as a whole. Now, let's look at some scriptural examples and references. Jacob had 12 sons, where later on, these 12 sons became the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. So Jacob, when later he became Israel, 12 tribes, they represent the sons and the children of Israel. Fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation. Revelation 7 will describe 144,000 who will receive salvation during the end time Great Tribulation. 144,000 is 12,000 times 12. In Revelation 14, another 144,000, 12,000 times 12, who will be with the Lamb. Now, some people read this, literally, as if there will only be 144,000 there and at that point in time. I personally, in my opinion, read it symbolically, okay? Because there will be a perfect government, perfect number that will be there. In Revelations chapter 21, when New Jerusalem comes down, there will be 12 gates. There will be 12 angels. There will be again named after the 12 tribes. The gates will have 12 pearls. The foundations of the walls are 144 cubits high, 12 times 12, right? And they will be marked against uh, the names of the apostles. The dimensions of the city is 12 by 12 by 12 furlongs. Revelations 22, the tree of life that appears will have 12 Fruits or 12 kinds of fruits. All it is saying is that when Jesus returns, when everything is said and done, there will be the perfect rule and reign of the king and of his kingdom. So, if you understand 12 symbolically and significantly, then you understand why Jesus picked this first 12. What's the significance? This very first team Jesus would be like Jesus as the new Joshua leading the 12 tribes into the land as a new conquest of the kingdom. It is signalling a new era of the kingdom. This first team Jesus will represent the king and his kingdom breaking in to establish God's power, authority, completeness and his perfect government, his rule and his reign. And that's good news. Right? And that's why when we come back the next time, you will see Jesus saying to them, preach the good news and go and demonstrate it because you are showing the people this is the new season. And today, all of us, we all represent the king and his kingdom. And that means that there can be many, many more team Jesuses. Is that amen? Amen. Right? There can be many more team Jesuses. But this is just the very first one appointed by Jesus. So the third point under this point about being appointed by Jesus is, do you notice something? They were disciples first before they were apostles. They were disciples first before they were apostles. Again, I want to raise this issue of discipleship. You see, if you don't consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, how do you get to be sent out to be a part of Team Jesus? And I think this is a mental block for many people in the church. They are still struggling to see whether they are disciples of Jesus Christ or not. But the disciples had to be disciples first before they were appointed as apostles. If you keep thinking that you're not good enough or you're not ready to be a disciple then you will keep rationalizing and justifying why you're not called or why you won't be called. And there are many people in the church who are are struggling with this. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I didn't study this. I didn't go for this course. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't have the anointing. We give ourselves all kinds of reasons. Why? Because it's safer to be just a believer than to be a disciple. Because if you look at the words of Jesus to the disciples, huh, later on we'll study, huh, whoa, a lot of things are very scary right huh, All the difficult things can come and we don't want those. So we think, wrongly, that if I'm not a disciple, I won't have difficult things. Actually, not true, you know. As long as you name the name of Jesus, huh, you can expect difficult challenges. Am I right? I mean, look at the bombings that just happened. The people who went in to bomb the church didn't ask. Excuse me, disciples, stay. Huh? We bomb you. Believers, you can go out. Huh? Because believers, easier. La. No, right? As long as you are counted as someone who belongs to Jesus, you are fair game. So if you want to suffer, myself suffer well, right? If you want to die, die for a good reason. Amen? Right? So why do we draw lines and you know, try and make excuses for ourselves? if you are not a disciple, then really you don't have to attend the next few teachings on Matthew 10 because they are only given to disciples. And if you don't want to attend the teachings on Matthew 10, then you cannot even quote the promises that are there in Matthew 10. Why do we pick the parts that we like and those parts we don't like, we don't use? No, they were disciples first and then they became apostles. Let's look at this word apostle. Let's demystify this big word. Again, whenever we say apostle, oh, special, oh, big guy, huh? big guy, the one who wields a lot of power, one. correct? That's the kind of things that we understand. It comes from the verb apostello. Now, apo means from. Now, why from? It just means you are picked from a certain group. That's all that means. Okay? You are separated, you are taken out. But "stello" means to set in place, just to position. That's all it means. OK? Almost like a military term this is what it has a nuance for. It's almost like to set soldiers in a battle formation. So if I'm picking you for a certain task, you are like an apostle in that sense. Are you understanding this? That's all the word means. It's to set someone in place to appoint to a position like soldiers in the battle formation now I've given you Philament 2 because we are people from Archippus Awakening and Archippus the second mention other than Colossians 4.17 in Philemon 2 he's named as a fellow soldier so friends if you want to be on kingdom assignment you might just be taken out from a certain group and positioned for that assignment and sent out on a mission is that good for you? if you don't want to be called apostle, that's fine. I'm just saying that's what being on assignment is all about. Now, we may not have that same status or carry the same symbolic significance as the original 12 apostles. But Paul does say in Ephesians chapter 4 that today in the church, there are still Apostles, right? Prophets, evangelists, uh, uh, pastors, and teachers. Each have got different functions. We may not carry the same significance, but some of us can be put into positions where we have to train people, equip people, and serve in that capacity. However, all of us can have apostolic mindsets. Do you understand? That means we are ready to be set apart. We are ready to be positioned. We are ready to be sent out to do what the king tells us to do. Now, all this is to remind us again and to make that point again, to emphasize once more. Jesus picked 12, but the whole idea is to symbolize a new kingdom era. And then later, he picked 72 others. Later, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, he issues the commission to all disciples. Everyone. Okay, so you can't get away with it. That's, that's my point. Okay, Don't try and run away from it. All of us have a part in this. We are part of the kingdom, and we want to serve the king. Now, having got the first three subpoints out of the way, number one, Jesus had more than twelve disciples. Are you convinced? Number two, why was it only twelve? Because it's a kingdom picture. It's the perfect rule and reign of God. That's what the good news is all about. Not just about going to heaven only, yeah? Number three, we are disciples first before anything else. So if you want kingdom assignments, you have to be convinced. I am a disciple and start living like one. Change from a good church member to a faithful disciple of the kingdom. I think that would be better. Okay, Now we get to the fourth sub-point. So who did Jesus appoint? Who did He select? Did He choose the best of the best? I know Avengers is very popular. And every time Avengers assemble, uh, these are the superheroes that would come. And they would sort of come together, band together, and they sort of save the world. Did Jesus choose the best of the best? I think you, you will agree with me. Lah. Jesus didn't pick the 12 because they had superpowers. He picked the 12 and then gave them kingdom power. Very big difference. huh? Very, very big difference. Now today, do you realize we still think like this Avengers thing? who's more anointed, who's more spiritual, who's got more training, who's got this, 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 and that, that, that. And we pick people because of their strengths and their talents. Now, I'm not saying those are not good. But our tendency is to focus on that more than focus on God's strength and kingdom power. Okay? So who did Jesus pick? He picked these 12 guys. So it's not really... Avengers assemble, it's more like apostles assemble. And we have the names of these 12. You know the names Simon, the brother, Andrew, and then another pair of brothers, James and John, sons of thunder. How would you like them in your cell group? Um, You have Philip, you see him in John chapter 1, verse 43 to 48. Bartholomew, his other name might be Nathanael. Where you read in John chapter 1, verse 43 to 48 also. Uh, Then there's Thomas, where it just means twin. We don't know know whether he's a twin or not, um, but his name just means twin. Then there's Matthew, whose other name is Levi. James, now he is the son of Alphaeus, but he is differentiated by the other James. Um, Then that's why he's referred to in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, James the Less. Okay, it's not that he has, he has less. But commentators presume that he might be the smaller of the two or slightly of lesser height or way less. I don't know, but James the less. Huh? This other guy, uh, Lebius, he might have another name, Thaddeus. He's also named Judas. And he's called the son of James, a different James again. Now, why uh, does Luke call him Judas and son of James, because it's to differentiate him from the other infamous Judas. There's Simon the Canaanite, but Luke calls him Simon the Zealot. And of course, finally, there's this guy called Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. Twelve guys. Jesus picked this twelve. As I was preparing this message, God's timing is always really good. Something comes up on my Facebook feed. And I said, I really must read this to you this thing came out and there was a letter to Jesus by this group of management consultants. And I think presumably Jesus must have submitted these 12 names for the management consultant to do some personality test and to check whether they're okay or not. Huh? So let me read this to you. To Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafters, carpenter shop, Nazareth, the postal code 25922 from Kepernam Management Consultants. Dear sir, Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organisation. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without an additional fee. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, lacking in education, and lacking in vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on a manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Capanum Management Consultants. Who did Jesus pick? How did he choose? If you look at the very first Team Jesus, let's do a quick observation. Peter is always mentioned first in all the lists, whether it's in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke or in Acts, there are these four lists. Peter is always mentioned first Understandably, he's like the default leader of the group. Uh, Judas always mentioned last. Matthew, in this instance, you notice he only describes himself, the tax collector. He doesn't label anyone else. And if you've gone through the teaching with myself, I believe Matthew was just reminding himself and just declaring the grace of God to say if this tax collector can have a miracle of the Messiah, there's hope for everyone. If this tax collector can be saved by Jesus and make it to team Jesus, there's hope for everyone. The other one that he describes is Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. We notice also in this list that they are mentioned in pairs. In Acts, they are mentioned in groups of four. So it's either two or is it by four. They are definitely a motley crew. They are made up of brothers, family members, kakinang, kakinang, Uh, fisherman, tax collector, zealot who's wanting to overthrow the Roman government. Very, very, very different. But do you realise something? We don't see rabbis, we don't see priests, no scribes, no PhDs, no Master of Divinity, no scholars, no graduates of Bible schools, no pastors, no deans of school of ministry. None of all these, right? None of that. And these are like, in our terms, we call them almost anonymous archipuses, right? They are nobodies. Nobodies. All of them are Galileans except that of, of Judas. Judas was probably the only one that came from somewhere else. And so if, if they can qualify for Team Jesus, do you think you can qualify? If they can qualify to be selected and appointed by Jesus, hey, we got chance la. We have hope. You don't believe you read the, the rest of the Gospels huh, and you see how many times these guys mess up. There's hope for all of us, man. We can be on Team Jesus. But as we look at that observations and the makeup, let's understand some dynamics of Team Jesus. Because if you're going to be formed into Team Jesus, if I, if I number you off, one, two, three, four, up to 12, one, two, three, four, up to 12, you know, and you form groups, and I say, okay, for the next one year, uh, let's do a few things you will notice some of these dynamics that will be there. The first is, discipleship happens in community. You have to say a loud amen to that one. And so for some of you who want to play the card to say, but I'm introvert, la. I like to spend time by myself. Sorry, Hawk. Huh? Discipleship works in community. And it's a rabbinical model. It's called a havarim. It's a group of disciples, a group of students who come together. Now, personal time and personal relationship with Jesus is good. And you must have your own time to get to know the Lord. But you cannot ignore community. You cannot ignore group learning. Being in community will add a dimension to your walk and to your growth. So if you want to learn, if you want to grow, you've got to get into... A team Jesus. It need not be 12. Eight persons will give you enough reason to tear your hair out already. Because by yourself, listen to this, by yourself, you are a perfect Christian. But that perfect Christian must be tested in relationship. And that's why you have to learn in a community. You will learn differently when you need to relate to someone else, when you need to serve Someone else, when you need to serve with someone else, you, you will learn differently when you need to submit to one another for the sake of a higher cause. When you come into a group, very quickly you will find your personal agenda and your prejudices uh, very quickly will be revealed. Your own understanding of things, you know, even your own disposition, you start to think, uh, am, am I better? Am I more qualified? Or am I more deserving? Or let's say if you're not picked for something from this group or from this church, why am I not chosen? Why am I not recognized? Uh, am I secure just to simply be a servant or do I need a title uh, to do something? Am I jostling for status, for position, for some attention? Am I describing someone in the church? right? And we meet a lot of people like that inside the church and sometimes we ourselves, let's be honest, I think we struggle with it also. But are you willing to come into a group to learn from one another. Discipleship must happen in community. So if you're not in a community, try to get into one. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you're going to learn. That's the first dynamic that you want to take note of. Then I noticed something. Assignments are done in smaller groups. Jesus didn't say, the 12 of you, you, you go, home, everyone go into this place. No. He sent them out two by two. Now, must it always be two? No, it can be three by three, it's all right. But they are done in smaller subgroups. Why? Because you will move, you will react faster, you will cover more ground, you will reach more people. For example, just last week, team are keepers, there were 10 of us, we went to the Philippines. But the Lord would arrange it that when it came to Saturday, we were broken up into three teams, sub teams. Two teams went out to the villages as part of the outreach and a feeding program. And they managed to see different things and they learned different things. The other team, comprising of just myself, and then later on, uh, two others joined me. We were honored to be part of a prayer ministry and we started to learn things about Philippines and interacted with the pastors and opened up new doors down there. On Sunday, the 10 of us were split into four teams because there were four churches that we were assigned to and so we went out three by three by two by two. And we ministered, right? And we let. And you would realize also that those who had to go out and preach on their own, maybe in, for the first part of the trip, uh, it was easier for them because they can hide behind this main person who was preaching, correct? They're just there, they just wait for us, wait for their turn. But when you send them out, oh, they pray differently there. You know, they prepare differently. And I said, it's a different intensity. Are you following? Okay. And so it's always good to give them more opportunities and to them about in smaller groups. And so this challenges us, the way we deploy cell groups, how they save collectively, which is nice. But I think if you want to be on kingdom assignment, move out in smaller groups. It will help you move much faster. The third dynamics about Team Jesus, whenever you come together, be prepared for differences and tensions. Because there will be many opinions and many interpretations out of this group. If you have run a cell group before, you understand what I mean. Okay? But if your cell group is usually quiet and agree with everything you say, then of course that's not accurate. Lah. That's not true. Okay? But if you really want to talk about the church and the kingdom and have a healthy discussion, you will have a very, very uh, different opinion or basis uh, when, they come, when different people come together. The funny thing that is that in church, we tend to group people who are the same together. We'll bring the uh, same age group together, same social status together, same life stage together. Why? Because we can't find the same things to talk about. The point is, the same thing to talk about is the kingdom. Look at Team Jesus. Look at this original team. What does a fisherman have in common with a tax collector? or a zealot, right? They have very, very different agendas and different motives. Imagine the different tensions, right? One says, let's overthrow them now. The other one says, I think we have got to collect more money, right? And the other one says, what's for lunch? I can cut sashimi. <laughs> very, very different. Imagine a, a Baptist and a Charismatic and a Pentecostal and a Methodist and a, you know, coming together to talk about the kingdom, Right. What are the different theologies, the doctrines, the expectations, the experiences? What are the faith statements? You know? Do we pray in tongues? Do we don't pray in tongues? You know? Is the rapture really happening? Is it pre-trip? Is it post-trip? Let's talk about the kingdom. Uh, what's the view? Is it millennial? Is it pre-meal? Is it post-meal? Is it happy meal? <laughs> what? Have you ever had a discussion like that in yourself? My concern is that I don't think we talk about these things and that's why we don't understand the kingdom. But if you're not prepared for these kind of tensions and not be worried about it, then all you're going to do is have a very superficial cell group or community group, and you go nowhere. And that's why we talk Christian, but we don't live kingdom. But what's the main thing that would help you write out the tensions and the differences? You have to put Jesus as the reference point. You see, you can discuss, you can fight about things. At the end, it is Jesus. And in this original team, Jesus, Jesus himself, I mean, he's the king of kings. He knows everything. He knows what the kingdom is all about. And so when his charges would dis- debate and fight amongst each other, very quickly, he will say, the kingdom is not like that. The kingdom is like that. The way I do it, you follow me, Right? I didn't come for you to serve me. I came so that I serve. So as I do, now you must do. How many of you would love to have a cell group like that? A cell leader like that? But don't just pray for a cell leader like that. Why don't you be that cell leader or that group leader who will learn from Jesus? See, Jesus must be the reference point. The kingdom must be the agenda. But let me warn you, if you want to run a group like that, get ready for the people saying, I don't want to come already. Too serious, lah. I can't take this. Too high level for me. Have you experienced that before? Right? they rather just go to some other group that will pray for your birthdays and make sure that, you know, they, they celebrate certain things. You know? And that's good. Because it's community, it's fellowship. But if you talk the kingdom, and that's why I say, you've got to pick people to, whose only common thing is I love Jesus and I want to serve the kingdom. That's a real team Jesus, right? Now, of course, the others may need time to come along and we are patient with them when we walk with them. But let's not compromise what the Lord really wants us to do. So four things, huh? Discipleship happens in community and assignments are carried out in smaller groups. Be prepared for differences and tensions. Jesus must be always the reference point. Finally, we're ready to be assigned for Jesus, right? You get aligned with Him. You're authorized by Him. You're appointed by Him. What's the next thing? Every appointment must have an assignment. Sometimes the funny thing is people like position. They like the appointment, but they don't want the assignment. They just want the title. They just want the position, but the work they don't want to do. Here comes the assignment. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Look at the words there. Jesus sent out and He commanded them. Again, that word commanded them is their marching orders. It's, it's a commander giving orders to a soldier to say, Look, these are the instructions. Now you take heed. This is what you're going to do our keepers, make sure you know what you have been given to do. Go and do it. So he gives instructions, he gives warnings, but he also gives assurances. And that's the rest of Matthew chapter 10, which we'll cover later. But what I want to point out to you, at least for this session today, is Jesus also demarcated for them an area of operation. He says, when you go, this is where you must go. Don't go the way of the Gentiles. Don't enter the city of the Samaritans. But go to the house of Israel, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was very specific to the original team, Jesus. Their A.O. was confined to the children of Israel, the people of the kingdom. Why? The king came to declare himself and his kingdom to his people. It is to declare the Messiah It is to declare His kingdom. It is to demonstrate the power and the authority of this kingdom. And as they did that, they were to invite one and all into this kingdom to accept the rule and reign of Jesus the Messiah and the promise of shalom. That was their mandate. That was the assignment they had to do and that was the area of operation. But that was in Matthew chapter 10. By the time you come to Matthew chapter 28, After Israel rejects the king, then you get a new area of operation now. An expanded area of operation. Now, don't worry just about Israel. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, all nations is a collective word, but I believe each of the disciples would have received their own area of operation. And you know, 11 of them plus the 12th one later and the rest went into different areas of operation. But notice a pattern down here. You notice is first to the people of Israel and then to the nations. I say it again, huh? Eh? First to the people of Israel and then to the nations. Do you realize that Paul adopted this as a missionary pattern and a priority. He said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And look at this phrase. For the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. So Paul was very clear. First to the people of Israel, but when they reject, he will move to the Gentiles. And so this is an interesting reminder for us because Paul explains that, look, this is the whole mystery of God. This is the whole mystery of the kingdom where although it is declared to Israel, they are blinded. But for whose sake? They are blinded for the sake of you and I, for the Gentiles. So that when it is rejected by the Jews, it will be carried to the Gentiles but as the Gentiles believe, we then in turn provoke the Jews to jealousy and that one day the Jews and Israel will remember or recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Now, not all may have the opportunity to preach to the Jews. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we can and we must remember Israel. We must appreciate that we are the wild olive branches who have been grafted into the main olive tree, okay? And we must still pray for the natural olive branches to be grafted back in. And many of us have forgotten it. Many of us have just been so caught up with our own church busyness uh, that we don't have a focus on this. Now, let me add a warning. We do not need to become Jews. And we don't have to suddenly become Jewish. That's not the point. Don't get into an extreme. Just be aware and mindful and then respond accordingly. And so let's bring this to a close this evening. I know I've taken you on a quite a long journey, but really it's still the same thing. Um, I just want to set the right tone, give you a right introduction. We are starting the second discourse. There are works ahead, but it all depends on you. It all depends on me if you're just listening and disqualifying yourself as disciples, then the rest of this teaching may just tickle your ears. That's all. But if you are disciples and you want to be assigned for Jesus, then let's journey together, right? Let's look at what team Jesus is all about. That we may be aligned with Him, that we know that we are authorized by Him, that we will be appointed by Him, and also assigned for Him. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this original team. Jesus. You choose people so differently from the way we would choose people. And I pray that You would speak to each of us, to assure us and to encourage us that as long as we have a right relationship with You, as long as we are aligned with You, nothing is impossible. You can send us out. You can place us. You can position us. You will authorize us with the power of the kingdom, with the authority that comes with your name. You'll give us the boldness. You'll give us the courage. And you will also assign us with a task that needs to be completed with your grace and by your power. And so I pray for ourselves here and also those listening in that we will keep an openness of mind and of heart that even through this teaching, who knows, you can already begin to select new teams to be sent out for your name and for your purposes. And so we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.